Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau, and this week's guests actually came uh, as a result of a suggestion. We received a message that the uh, current mayor of Biddeford was doing amazing things with the city. And the message also noted that he was a proud Franco-American. So, and the message suggested that we reached out. So we did. And so I'm very excited to say that joining the podcast this week is Biddeford, Maine, Mayor Alan Casavant. Mayor Casavant is serving his fourth term as mayor of Biddeford. And prior to serving as mayor, Alan served 18 years on the city council, including four terms as council president. He also served four terms at the, in the Maine legislature and he taught, this is what I think is kind of cool, he taught psychology, American studies, global studies, and U.S. history at Biddeford High School. Mayor Casavet, thank you so much for joining the French-Canadian Legacy. Glad to be here. All right, Mayor, I'd like to start by getting your story. Did you grow up in Biddeford? Yeah, I did. Okay. Um, and- I attended the local schools. I, I My grammar school years, believe it or not, I went to an Irish parochial school. <laughs> okay. Um, mainly because while my father's side was totally Franco. My mother's side was half Franco. They didn't speak English in the home. So no French speaking in my home. And so I went to St. Mary's Grammar School where there was no French. And now were there still like French parochial schools? Oh yeah. Would that have been an option? Did you guys, because I know in Manchester we had like a lot of schools had like the half English, half French days. Was that something that was existing in Biddeford? Yeah. Yeah. There were two uh, Franco schools in Biddeford at the time and one Franco high school. And, and some of their day was spent in French. Awesome. Now, how big of an influence then was French-Canadian cultural identity kind of for you when you were growing up? I think mine was somewhat minimal. There were certain things that we did that I didn't recognize as Franco. But if I went to my meme or pepes, I saw sure. a different world. Gotcha. Uh, because usually the family get-togethers were essentially for a long time all in French. And, uh, you know, they had the pork pie and, and the, you know, those types of things. But in my on my side, like I said, it was uh, more English based. Gotcha. Now, you talking about your Meme and Pepe. Were they were they born in Maine or, or they were born in Quebec? So they're the ones who immigrated down. Yes. All right. Very cool. Now, quick about this town of Biddeford itself, because uh, we've discussed a lot, you know, French Canadians settled in cities that had. Mills, you know, mills were an obvious place to work. Was that this kind of the story for Biddeford too? Is that why the French Canadians moved down to, to the Biddeford area? Yeah, they started coming here. Uh, Israel Chevenel was the first permanent Franco. I think he came in the 1840s or 50s. Uh, and then as the mills began to expand and needed more labor, they went to Quebec to try to find that labor. And by the latter part of the 19th century, they were pouring into to Biddeford. Gotcha. And Again, something we hear about in some of the larger cities, uh, obviously from Manchester, uh, we have the French churches, schools, newspaper, radio. Is that kind of like the same thing? Exactly. Same, same thing. On the, was there a, a little Canada in Biddeford at the time? Um, there were a couple sections of the community that the Frankos tend to live in. Um, one was down by the river uh, and uh, by the um, Franco churches. Okay. And are these still around? Uh, the areas are still there, but... Biddeford has diversified over the last few years. So um, you don't have quite as many Francos, 
Uh, and what's really interesting to me is how assimilation has changed the landscape in a way. So, for example, when I was teaching, I used to do a couple of units on immigration, and we'd talk about Francos, and quite a few of my students were Franco. Sure. They didn't know it. They had so, no idea, even though they called their grandparents Meme and Pepe, and even though they had the pork pie and so forth, they sure. did not know they were Franco. Now, what what did it look like from your perspective of trying to uh, maybe make them more cult aware of their cultural heritage? Uh, I thought it was important to do so. And let me backtrack a little bit. It was somewhat perverse here in the Biddeford community um, that Francos were looked down upon. And I, I, I suspect that was true in Southern Maine. There was a lot of stereotyping going on, um, the dumb Frenchman jokes. Sure. And so a lot of Francos uh, tried to hide their background or even went to uh, the extreme of changing their name. So I had a friend of mine whose name was Bother, and sure. he changed it to Greenwood. Sure, yeah, we hear a lot about that in Manchester and throughout the other towns that we've talked to as well, which is kind of crazy. And I'm wondering, what does it look like now? Um, are there still, like other Franco organizations, Franco clubs, still Franco churches? There's still one Franco church, uh, St. Joseph's Church. There is one Franco society called the Society Social de Baptiste de Bienfaisance. Sure. Um, that's been around since after the Civil War. It was a social men's organization. At one point, it had like 500 to 700 members. Now it has about 25. There's an alumni group, St. Louis alumni, that was attached to the old parochial school that's still around. But generally speaking, Franco or non-Franco, you see less and less people involved in social organizations like that. Sure, that makes sense. That's that's kind of like across the board. I know from what I understand, especially nonprofit organizations are having a tough time getting members, period. Doesn't matter. Oh yeah. It doesn't matter what kind of organization it is. Yeah, when I try to, you know, make appointments to committees or whatever it happens to be, I find I'm essentially pulling from the same pool as everybody else because it's just a certain group that wants to do that type of thing. Sure. No, understood. Now, I'd like to chat a bit about, you know, the time as mayor and coming into your first term. What were the one, two couple priorities that you were most looking to achieve? I wanted, obviously, to do redevelopment, but things changed quickly because I don't know if you're familiar with this, but Biddeford had a, a uh, waste to energy plant in the downtown um, that malfunctioned for quite a while and uh, it created major odor issues. One of my goals was to somehow get that under control, but out of the blue, they came forward and said, well, would you like to buy us? Oh, wow. So it was like, well, okay. Sure, <laughs> and, no, of course. Um, through negotiations, the city actually purchased the main energy site and the, and the facility closed down. Okay. And now, maybe I should have backed up a little bit because a story that seems pretty common in a lot of the Franco cities and towns uh, that we've uh, talked about on this program uh, was the whole idea of once the mills left now we have a town city downtown area trying to kind of almost reinvent itself and there's been different levels of success on how that process went was that a similar struggle with Bitterford? yeah and the closure of the main energy plant changed everything the the energy plant like i said had odor issues and so the, a section of main street that was prone to odor didn't really move forward and there was a stigma attached to the community. So, for example, in athletics, you've heard of trash talk. Sure. Uh, when our high school teams played, it was literally trash talk. Gotcha. But when once that closed down, suddenly 
we began to see millions and millions of dollars of reinvestment in the downtown and things began to flourish. That's kind of interesting that basically that one major development has kind of changed the entire outlook of the downtown area. Yeah, and, and we tried to build on that. So, for example, during the last four years of my term, we have been investing in the downtown with new lighting, new sidewalks, flowers, and things of that nature. And what it has done, which I didn't expect, it created tremendous community pride. So, for example, seven or eight years ago, if someone from Bitterford was on Facebook and it, it, it included where they were from, they would put in the Portland area. Now they gotcha. put Bitterford. Awesome. Now, for maybe I should have started right from the very beginning, because uh, we have, I know we have listeners throughout New England. We have a bunch of listeners actually in Quebec. For those who might not know, where where is Bitterford located, your sibling? Yeah, for those in the Quebec, it's about five miles from Old Orchard Beach. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so Bitterford awesome. is actually coastal. It has beaches also, uh, and it's along the Saco River. Very cool. Now, okay, so going forward then, what are kind of your objectives for the next couple of years of your term here? Well, one of the things, of course, is that with this tr investment and redevelopment that we're seeing, it's it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime events. In fact, my city manager, who has been in numerous towns, has never seen such a rapid change in, in the downtown community and such investment. So I compare it to a wave that, that I want to surf, but I want to catch that wave and keep surfing it for a while. So what we're trying to do is do everything possible to nurture the development and the investment that's taking place. Excellent. Before, well, I mean, obviously, I want to leave a little bit for better for you to get your idea of a concept that I had talked about with James Mayall uh, on a previous episode. And that is the observation I had made that, at least in my hometown, we have a huge Franco-American population, but it really doesn't seem to be a major factor in local politics. And I thought it would be interesting to get your take on this, because where I use the, the giant Greek festival we have, for example, um, it's called the Glendy in Manchester. And every local politician from, you know, city council to governor, United States senator, everybody shows up for this event. Despite the fact that we have many times as many people of Franco descent than Greek in Manchester, we have a really tough time getting huh. the local celebrities to kind of show up at our things. And, and I'm told that part of the reason for that is that they're really isn't considered such a thing as the quote French vote, which makes it tough for to get people to come out to support us. And I'm curious what your experience with that has been. I think at least in Maine, once upon a time, there was something called a French vote. I'm looking back, oh, probably 90s and earlier, whenever people ran for governor of Maine, for example, they would come to Biddeford because it was incredibly democratic and, of course, largely Franco. In fact, I can tell you that up until maybe 2005 or six, there were essentially no Republicans in Biddeford. Wow. Now, what in changed that? Then? Fact, politically, when people ran, we'll say, for mayor, there were factions of the Democratic Party, and those factions generally represented different families. But there was never any, any Republican opposition whatsoever. So... Once the primary was over, whoever won the primary, they were essentially mayor because we had a general election, but there was no opposition. There is a festival here called La Carmesse. And for many years, politicians would, would attend. They would be there because the crowds were huge. What has happened in oh, the last five or six years, the crowds have diminished and you just don't see the politicians there at all anymore. So something is going on in terms of that Franco cohesiveness that seems to be dispersing. 
And I think politicians tend to go with their large crowds. So at least in terms of La Kermesse, because the crowds are, are, are not as strong anymore, they're not showing up. I also think that if you look at main politics now, Paul LePage was Franco. Sure. And you could say he, I, I'm not sure if he carried Bitterin, but he did extremely well in Bitterin and may have even carried it. I don't think it was because he was Franco. I think it was because he was conservative. Sure. I mean, you mentioned for a long time that basically whoever won the Democratic primary was a winner in Bitterford. Yeah. Was in, in the state of Maine anyway, was were the Francos basically all members of the Democratic Party? Was that, yeah. was that that's true today. I don't think you can say that's true today, but at one point in time, yeah. And why why was that out of curiosity? Like how did that happen? How did they come, you know, come down, immigrate from Quebec? and kind of all see themselves aligned with the Democratic Party. Do you know when about that happened and how that happened? I think it's because the Democrats were stereotyped as being for the working class, and the Republicans for many years were stereotyped as being for the rich. Um, that has changed dramatically over years. So many Francos now are Republican because they see Republicans standing up to conservative values, whether that's fiscal or um, social. Sure. Would it be worth, because one of the things that I always find interesting is that every once in a while, even though there isn't something considered a French vote, uh, we run into a, a candidate who does make a big deal of his heritage. It'll, you know, it'll stick a fleur-de-lis mm -hmm. on, the, on the sign. Would it still benefit, do you think there would be any bump at all if somebody tried to play that game in Maine, if somebody went out of their way and said, you know what, vote for me, I'm a Franco? I don't think so. I don't think that the people of Maine actually would, would vote because of ethnicity. Um, someone was telling me today, interestingly, that the people in Maine tend to vote for people that they respect, that they like, and they trust. And so that shatters this whole idea about ethnicity. So, for example, the example he gave me was the same people vote who vote senatorially for um, Susan Collins Sure. Also vote for Angus King, even though politically they're totally different. So people don't follow the idea of where people stand so much on issues or ethnicity. It's just, do you like the person? Gotcha. Okay. In regards to all of this, then, is there still going to be, because you talked about how, the, you know, less less population showing up at La Carmes and stuff like that. Uh, I guess, what do you see as the future of the Franco cultural identity in a place like Bitterford, a place that was at one point a pretty high percentage Franco. I think there are more and more people trying to rediscover their ethnicity um, through genealogy and through history. So I see a, a resurgence in, in Franco pride. Remember what I said earlier, for many, many years, in Bitterford and perhaps Southern Maine. In fact, I think there was a law in Maine which actually banned the speaking of French in public schools. Yes. Um, that people didn't want to say they were Franco. I mean, I clearly remember, I don't know what grade I was in, but I remember seeing a local politician on a news channel early in the morning before I was going to school, and he was speaking with a heavy French accent. And I remember thinking, I don't want to speak like that. Because of wow. all the barrage sure. of negativity that I heard about that, it wasn't. And, and in fact, it even translated so bad that when I took French in high school, I didn't want to learn French, which I really kicked myself in the butt now because sure. my meme, for example, never spoke English. And so we conversed, but it was really, really limited. And I wish I could have talked to her 
in her language so I would have known more about her. Sure, of course. Now, if somebody is, I'm glad to hear that there is a resurgence. And if somebody is interested, what kind of sites are there in Biddeford to maybe check out that were at one time pretty significant to the Frago community? Well, obviously, I think the centerpiece is St. Jo uh, Joseph's Church. I mean, really, it's gorgeous. It, it was renovated maybe 15 to 20 years ago. And again, when you think back to when the church was constructed, when the parishioners then put every nickel and dime that they had towards that, to me, it's really, really amazing. Um, there are other structures that are still in existence that have Franco-ethnicity. Even the University of New England, believe it or not, is connected to the DeCary brothers who came from Montre the Montreal area and set up St. Francis College, which is now UNE, as well as hospitals, St. Louis High School, and a number of other things. So there are a number of connections um, to the Franco past that's, that's still around. And in the past couple of years, I connected to an organization in Quebec City um, that starts that wants to create a uh, cultural tourism network sure. um, through New England and essentially through the United States. So, for example, two years ago, I went to Quebec City for the opening uh, convention uh, of that. I just think in terms of being Franco, there's a lot of value in capturing the pride and recognizing that Francos have given a lot to their communities, not just in terms of workmanship, because one of the things like, you know, I, I taught a bit of it for 35 years and I did so because I liked the kids. Why? Sure. Yeah, because they were hard workers. They, they learned the value of hard work, that Franco work ethic from their parents. And so Franco-Americans, they gave a lot to their communities and gave a lot to this country. And I think it's really important that those of a Franco lineage begin to feel proud about where they came from and what those individuals gave to this country. That's awesome. And, but I can't let you go without mentioning something that's come up again on this podcast before. That's Chivanel Park. We have to oh, be yeah. sure to talk about that. Can you tell us a little bit about that park and maybe how that park was dedicated and what kind of what it's about? Um, I believe Tanya Chavanel was on your show some time ago. She was, yes, sir. Fabulous, wonderful, creative lady. Her, I'm not sure I got this right, great, great, great grandfather. There's a number of greats in there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a few. Um, he walked to Bitterford, I think from Compton, Quebec. He walked here to work in the mills. And Tanya and her father redid that particular trip. The, her father walked it and she videoed it. When, when he came, he, by being here, of course, he went back and picked up his family. They came here. And this is when Biddeford was booming industrially in terms of the textile mills. But, you know, sometimes when I'm driving to, to Quebec or Montreal, sometimes I think of that. I'm like, God, sure. there's no way I'd have walked it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, but uh, he did that. And uh, so there's a park on Main Street that's dedicated to him as being the first Franco. It's just a great story. I don't know if you've seen the video, but it's yeah. just, it's amazing. That's a, it's a really awesome story. All right, very cool. So, Mayor, if people wanted to find out what's going on in Biddeford kind of events, what do you guys have happening? Where should they look? There's an organization in Biddeford called Heart of Biddeford. It's got its own webpage and a Facebook page that pretty much gives them a lot of information 
in terms of uh, concerts, we have quite a few summer concerts in the parks and things of that nature. Uh, and in, in September, there's a river jam uh, festival. So Harvard Biddeford pretty much keeps that up to date. There's also a city webpage, uh, biddefordmain.org, that gives a lot of information. So it's, it's readily accessible. Excellent. And if somebody hears this and decides you are the greatest politician of all time and maybe wants to get a hold of you, how can they reach you, sir? Um, obviously, you can get me through email, which is acasavant at biddefordmain.org. I faithfully reply to every email. That sounds great. We can put a link to all this stuff. Mayor, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm glad you uh, got in touch with me. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.